0: I know it's rude to talk about somebody when they're not here, but I'm about to do it, so <laughs> I thought I'd warn you. I, I looked around. I don't think the Parmeleys are here, are they? So you can tell Jeff to he has to listen to the sermon. I, last summer, I took part in a race called the Mud Mayhem and Fun Run, in which Jeff Parmalee and all of his friends uh, seek to wreak havoc on your 5K time and prevent you from running a quick 5K it's out at PC Park. Has anyone done this before? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Bear? Oh, hey, you were there. Okay, Barry was there. Okay, so Barry knows. He can identify. Here's the deal. Is it starts at PC Park by the beach, and you run 3.1 miles, and through that 3.1 miles, there are various obstacles that you have to encounter and traverse and go through to make it to the end of the race. Well... As you would imagine, some obstacles look intimidating, maybe they're not so, so much, and you have in your mind, okay, this is going to be a tough one, what am I going to do? And you drive up, and you see them, and you think through, you were there too, right? Yep, okay. Um, I'm, I'm calling you guys out here so you know. But, but you see different obstacles, and, and in my mind, I had a, a various obstacles that I thought, okay, that was going to be a tough one. Like, there's these walls that you had to get over, and I'm thinking, this is going to be tough, my feet are going to be wet, I'm going to slip and fall, and... and hit my shin or something. And so I had, I had things that I knew I was going to have to encounter and I was going to have to work hard to, to overcome. Well, here's the deal. There were two obstacles that, that wreaked the most havoc on me that looked easy. The first one was the first obstacle, I think, if I remember right. It, were, it was just these giant mounds of sand. And as I'm running up on them, I'm thinking, man, this is no problem. And Daniel's in front of me. He was there too. You guys didn't raise your hands. Bunch of chickens. Y'all are afraid I was going to call you out or something. Well, Daniel was running ahead of me, and um, I saw him. He just, like, right across these mounds of sand. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm right with him, you know. And I come up, and I hit that thing, and my foot sunk in the sand, and I had these short socks on, and it felt like Avery or Kendall had taken a bucket out of the ocean and just dumped sand down in my shoes right through my socks. And so for the rest of the, the three miles after that, I had sand inside my socks, not just inside my shoes, but inside my socks. And it was like sandpaper, every step, just peel and hide away. And so every step, I was thinking about those mounts, you know, just running, mad at Jeff, and keep going. <laughs> well, about, I don't know, probably halfway through the race, there was a mud pit. And it, we had already gone through mud pits. They were no problem. And so I hit this one, and I was going to do the same thing I thought I would do on that one. And I, the guy behind me was a good ways back. And I'm taking off, and I'm running, and when I hit that mud pit, it looked like it was about this deep, okay? Well, the water was that deep, but evidently the mud was almost up to my hip because when I, I, I stepped in, and it just went <laughs> and my left leg disappeared. And I'm like, and, you know, have you been in mud like that, right? Maybe on a farm where you can't get your foot out because people had told me, tie your shoes tight or you'll lose your shoe, and I was thinking, I'm about to lose my shoe and maybe my leg, you know? <laughs> I'm pulling and pulling, and, and the guy behind me is catching up with me, and he gets, and then I get out and, ride and stay with him and stuff. And What I found out was this. Is that obstacles that we perceive and are very aware of and that we've heard about are challenging. They were challenging. But sometimes, obstacles that we don't think a lot about can present a greater challenge and undermine our lives more than we would anticipate. That's what I found out. And I think when we, we think about our lives with Christ, I want to start our time this morning by sharing with you two obstacles that I think pose a significant challenge to how we approach God and how we live for God, how we sit under the hearing of his word. And we study this morning Romans 8, 1 through 4. These obstacles can greatly undermine the way you approach and the way you hear and the way you apply this passage. Here's the first one. The first obstacle is the, just an attitude of entitlement. An attitude of entitlement. The, the idea that, that I inherently deserve something. I want that, so I should get it. right? You may, you may hear some of these narratives. These may sound familiar to you. I should get a trophy just like everybody else. I deserve a top-tier job if I apply for it. I deserve whatever truck I want. right? We just say it's, it's this mentality that if I want it, I should get it. Like any good thing there is should be handed to me. Right? It's the the attitude that that Moses confronted in the passage that that Pastor Mike read. Right? He, He brings the people out and he says, Listen, you're about to go into the land. But when you do, don't forget that it's not because of your righteousness. You are not entitled to this. This is not something that you earn. You have not merited this, you don't deserve it. But it's God who goes before you. He's the one who's working. So when you get there, don't don't get the mentality, we're a righteous people, we deserve the land. But man, that's easy to do. Now, I I think sometimes we sit back and go, yeah, I would never do that. But in reality, we do do that. We do. See, the the people stood in awe. when, when, When Moses comes and God sends the ten plagues, And he delivers them out of Egypt. And they're going. They see see God part the Red Sea. They follow Moses through. And then they see God close it up and engulf the Egyptian army. They watched all this. They see God lead them. Right? They see him leading them by fire and by smoke. They see these things. But yet, they have the, the tendency, the heart, tendency to kind of move over towards thinking hey we deserve this we're righteous and so god leads moses to say hey listen don't do that don't let your mindset shift towards we deserve it here's why this is important for us is that when an attitude of entitlement seeps into our hearts and in our minds then we cease to be amazed at god's grace an attitude of entitlement undermines the amazement of God's grace. So, so much so that we sing "Amazing Grace" without any sense of amazement. That we we hear perhaps Ephesians two one through ten, and it doesn't really stir our soul. Or perhaps, and can it be, is just an old hymn that has a weird melody. Rather than the glorious truth and a glorious question to go, can it be? Can it be that, that God would save the likes of me? Can, can it really be? Or, or some man of sorrows? You're not stirred by that in your soul because it's just a new jingle. We don't listen to the words of either. We don't reflect upon the words that Paul writes in Ephesians 2. It says, this is who you were, but now, but now by the mercy and grace of God. Man, that should stir us. But it's possible the entitlement has seeped in and, and taken us to a place where we're just not even amazed. We, we kind of sit back and think, well, I mean, of course Jesus died. I mean, why wouldn't he die for me? I don't think any of us would verbally say that. Maybe some of you might. I don't know. I hope not. I don't think we verbally would just stand up and say, of course Jesus died for me. He should have. Sometimes in our hearts, though, we can land there. where we just feel like, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, he died for me. We get that sense of entitlement. The second obstacle is this, is an ignorance of the soul. That we're just ignorant of the soul. That we just go right over in the last song, so my soul cries out to you, right? My, my soul, the, 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 the essence of who I am cries out to you, my God, in worship, right? We, we, we tend to be ignorant of that. We tend to, to forget about the fact that there is a part of us that, that is so special, it's that immaterial part that, that enables us to relate to God in a way that is distinct among all of creation. Right? We, we forget about passages that, that talk about the soul. Matthew 10, 28, where Jesus says, Have no fear of them. In verse 26 and 28 it says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God right? Soul and spirit can be is the same thing in Scripture. Acts 7, 59, when Stephen's being stoned to death, he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The, the writers of Scripture are keenly aware that we have a soul. We are not just material. We are not just physical. But the problem is that some of us have bought in to the narrative that the world gives that we only exist on the material level, that there's no soul. And that's just not true. There is a soul, there is a soul. But we can get in this mindset where we think if it's not physical, then we just, we just don't worry about it. We only think about what's physical. The problem is in doing that, we neglect our soul. We neglect the state of our soul. We neglect the care of our soul. We neglect to do what is good for our soul. So if I feel something, it's okay. I don't want to do it. I'm not up to it. I don't have the energy. I'm not going to do it. At the neglect of our soul. But we can't neglect our soul. Satan wants us to neglect our soul. One of his great schemes would to help you to focus solely on what is physical. At the neglect of your soul. Listen, when we read Romans 8, 1-4 in a second, if we don't understand that we are made up of body and soul, we won't fully understand what it means to be free in Christ. We won't fully understand what it means to have no condemnation. To be freed from the bondage of sin by God's grace if we have a sense of entitlement. That's why we start here today. We have to say these things. Because we have to do an examination in our lives and go, Man, have I, have I taken on a sense of entitlement? Have I neglected my soul? Have I, have I stopped caring about who I am? The spiritual side of who I am. Have I stopped caring about that? Have I stopped nourishing my soul? We have to be aware of those obstacles as we come to Romans 8, 1-4. Let's read this passage together this morning. Romans 8, 1-4. We know verse 1 well. We've been there several weeks. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law... Weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, I want you to look for key words there. So look at your text. All right, we we need to see keywords here. Kind of, I, I call them flag words words that that should signal us when we study Scripture that this is an important statement, this is explaining, this will help us understand what's going on here. So Paul starts out with the statement of verse 1, right, that we've covered. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now look at your signal words. For, in verse 2. Verse 3 starts with for, halfway through, by. Verse 4, in order that. Right? All those words, when we, when we study Scripture, we need to look at those words and, and maybe circle them. I like to circle those in my Bible right, to help me go, okay, here's, this helps me see the framework of Paul's teaching and argument. Right, And so let's, let's look at that. Let's, let's ask some questions about the text that these words show us how to answer. Here's the first question. The first question in verse 2 is, Why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For is important here. It answers that question. Why are believers not condemned? It's because the Spirit has set us free. The law condemns, the Spirit frees. Right? So we have been freed. Now, in verse 2, law is referring to a principle, an authority. Right? It's not referring to the Mosaic law. It makes sense if you just look at it and read it. He's not saying the law, the Mosaic law of the Spirit. That wouldn't make sense, right? So he's saying the law, the principle, the authority of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the principle, the authority of sin and death, right? Now he shifts to law being referring to the Mosaic law in verse 3 where he says, for God has done what the law, the Mosaic law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, right? Right? But in verse 2, he's referring to the law in principle. He's making a contrast between the power of the Spirit and the weakness of the flesh. All right, the power of the Spirit and the weakness of the flesh. So the law of the Spirit of life refers to God's work through the Holy Spirit. It results in what? In life, in justification, in liberation. Right. Now the contrast is to what? The law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. This is man's attempt to obey and merit his own salvation. But what does this result in? What's the result of our attempt to merit our own salvation? Results in death and what? And condemnation. So the fact that in verse 1 he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ is because instead of condemnation, we have justification, which at the end of chapter 8 we'll see that that leads to and results in never ever having separation from the Lord. Right? Right? Okay, so justification is the result of law, the law of the spirit of life. Liberation, the result of the law of sin and death is condemnation. The only power, the only power of our flesh when we seek to obey the law is to condemn us. It cannot free us. We cannot free ourselves by obeying the law. We can't accomplish our salvation. You know this. Our flesh is too weak. The, the power... Of the law of sin and death is to condemn and to enslave. Jesus said this in John 8.34. Everyone who commits a sin is the slave of sin. In, then in Galatians 4, Paul writes that before Christ we were held in bondage to the elemental things of the world. Right? We're in bondage. Romans 6:20 refers to us being slaves to sin when we are lost. The law enslaves. It brings us into bondage. Now, we're not sitting here with shackles, right? None none of us are in here physically enslaved. That's why we can't neglect the soul. We have to understand that our soul is enslaved. Our soul is in bondage. We're confined to doing what the Master says outside of Christ. The Master is sin. We're in bondage to sin. But Christ frees us. He says the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. He has set us free in Christ Jesus. Now, when he says he has set you free, this is a definitive act. This is done. He's not saying you will be set free. He is setting you free. He says he has set you free. It's a decisive act of the Lord. So believer, if you are a Christian... A believer has to be a Christian, right? That makes no sense. Right? So believers in here, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. You need to know that. You've been set free. You're not being set free. You've been set free. So Paul says in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery you, you've been set free don't go back under the slavery of sin you've been set free second corinthians three seventeen says now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty you've been liberated you've been freed in christ we have to understand the state of our soul outside of christ we're in bondage in christ we're free we're liberated. Here's the a, here's a next question we have to ask of this text. Verse 3. How can we be certain that we are not condemned? How can we be certain that we're not condemned? So look at the next 4. Verse 3. Paul starts, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Now, who did it? It's, it's not a trick question. Thank you. God. God did it. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God was able. The law was unable. God took the initiative. It's God's grace. Here we go. Are we so enshrouded in a sense of entitlement that this doesn't amaze us? We go, oh, yeah, you you should have done that, God. No, God shouldn't have done that. Why should he have done that? What did we do to deserve it? But he did it. God took the initiative to do what we did not deserve and what we could not do. We weren't entitled to it. We didn't earn it. But He did it. Man, that's amazing. He did it out of His glorious grace so that we could sing this morning, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? (laughs) I mean, the only reason we can sing that this morning is because God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. That's why we can sing that. How can we be certain? Because God did it. I'm not depending on my merit. I'm not depending on what I did. I can be certain because God Almighty did what I could not do. He did what the law could not do. He did it. He took initiative. And so I can be certain about that. Now, how did he do it? How did he do it? So we saw verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. How did he do that? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How? What's that look like? Well, here's what he did. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. How, how did He do it? He sent His own Son. That, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. God sent His own Son. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ and you're trying to be religious and you're trying to earn your way and you're trying to do the right things and, and you've got all the self-help books, Right? We went to Barnes & Noble this week in Destin and looked around, and I, I just stood over the top selling. It, it was, um, I can't remember the, the title or the, the plaque right now. It was, per, I think, Personal Growth or something like that, um, Personal Development or something, and everything there was a self-help book, a self-help book. One of the kids asked, what self-help book? What's self-help? And I said, it's a self-help book written by someone else, right? It's kind of contradictory. God freed us not by saying, listen, I want to show you how to help yourself. God God didn't free us by saying, I want you to to follow these teachings. Listen, you need to know this morning, if you're struggling and going through life trying to earn your salvation, trying to do the right things, trying to help yourself and say, if I do this and I put these five steps in my life, then I'll be successful. And if I do these things, then life will be good. My kids will turn out perfect And, and, and all of these things. You're going to drive yourself crazy. You're going to get to the end and look back and go, man, it was all in vain. It was worthless. Because we can't help ourselves. But God took the initiative, and he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Paul wrote in Philippians 2 that Jesus made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Now, think again on this. And I know you've heard this a lot. When God takes the initiative, and when God does what it takes to save us, who does he send? Does he send a prophet? Does he send a new law? Does he send a new code? Who does he send? It's in your text. His own son. His own son. God sent his own son. What did he send him? He sent him for sin. For sin. This can also be rendered. It may be rendered this way in some of your, your translations, if you have something other than the ESV, as a sin offering. As a sin offering. If you want to just write down and read Hebrews 10, 1 to 14, you could read that devotionally today to think about the fact that Christ was sent as a sin offering for you. The writer of Hebrews talks about how How the the priests come in, they're daily offering sacrifices as as reminders of of the, the payment that is necessary for sin. And it's ongoing. They had to offer them daily, over and over and over and over again. But Christ offered His sacrifice once and for all. It's done. It's over. Christ died for sin as a sin offering. God's own Son died for sin as a sin offering. Wow. Wow. And in so doing, what does it say? It says he condemned sin in the flesh. God executed his judgment on sin in the atoning work of Christ on the cross. He executed judgment. So Jesus took the Father's wrath. The penalty was paid. Our liberation was secured through Christ's work on the cross. God sent his own son in that. Now, here's the question. Is Why did he liberate us? Why did he liberate us? Verse 4, look at verse 4. There's your key word again, right? In order that. In order that. Bill's going to come back and hit these last two things in more in depth in the next few weeks. But in order that, why did he liberate us? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Listen, our holiness is the goal of God's salvation. He does it for His glory that we might be holy. We might be reconciled. We might be restored to who we are designed to be. Do you you see that? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk. That's talking about living, who live, who walk. Not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 1 Peter 2.16, Peter says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bond slaves of God. Galatians 5, again, Paul says, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Our freedom should result in living for God. In living for God. But I want us to think about this idea of freedom. Here's this quote from John Stott. He says this, he says, our freedom from the law is not freedom to disobey it. It's not a freedom to disobey it. On the contrary, the law, obedience of the people of God is so important to God that He sent His Son to die for us and His Spirit to live in us in order to secure it. Holiness is the fruit of Trinitarian grace, of the Father sending the Son into the world and His Spirit into our hearts. All of that to liberate our souls, to bring freedom. To our souls. That we might live in freedom. So here's a question. What does that mean? What difference does that make in your life? What does it mean? I want to just give you two closing ways that this should apply to your life and impact your life. Two implications for you today. Here's the first one. Is that if you're a believer... You do not have to sin. You're not required to sin. Those of you who are are bought with the blood of Christ, you have a choice. Sin is no longer your master. You have a choice. The presence of the Spirit in your life equals the defeat of the power of sin in your life. It It doesn't equal the absence of the presence of sin. Don't hear me there. But God's presence in your life eliminates the power, the dominion of sin in your life. Okay? Does that make sense? So, so you're no longer at a yoked under the master of sin. Do you remember what we said in Galatians 5.1? Do you remember what Paul said? It's for freedom that you have been set free. Do not, therefore, yoke yourself again under the yoke of slavery, or submit again under the yoke of slavery. That that means if Paul has to write that, if he says, listen, you've been set free, stand firm, and do not submit. Submit is something I willingly do. Don't submit to it. Don't submit to it. Here's what this means, is that your sinful desires do not have to control you. My sinful desires do not have to control me. I'm not a slave to my sinful desires. I'm not in bondage to them. That that means that that your angry outburst at home that has just consumed you and controlled and been the atmosphere of your home, you don't have to submit to that, believer. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. So ask God, God, give me self-control. I desperately need it. I desperately need it. You don't have to submit to angry outbursts at home. Choose not to. Ask God to manifest the spirit of self-control in your life. It, it means that you're critical spirit towards others. You, you have this natural tendency to see the worst in people, to be critical of others. You don't have to do that. You're free to not be critical. You're free to be kind. You're free to say, oh, okay, I was about to say something critical about her. I'm going to say something kind about her. You're free to do that. Your propensity to gossip and slander can be resisted by the power of the Spirit. And so that instead of gossiping about someone, instead of slandering someone, you speak what builds up and provides grace for the moment. You're not required to speak those words. You're not required to sin. You can make a choice not to do it because God has set you free from the power and dominion of sin. It means that that the bitterness, the resentment that you cling to so tightly, that keeping record in your mind, you've got all these records of what that person has done. They did this, they did this, they did this, they did this, they did this. That bitterness and resentment that you hold on to and that you bring up, you don't have to hold on to that. You don't have to bring it back up. Because why? Because you've been set free. And you're called to forgive as Christ forgave you. You don't have to bring that stuff up. You don't have to throw it up there. You're called to forgive. By genuine, true forgiveness. You're free to do that. You're free to do that. Here's a second way it applies to us. Is that the despair of it's just who I am is replaced by the hope of who I'm becoming. Have, have, have any of you in here something, maybe you've, you've fallen, you've struggled with sin over and over and you just kind of go man, it's just who I am. You sat down, I have people tell me that in my office, sit and talk and I can't help, it's just who I am. Man, that's discouraging, isn't it? That, that's, that's despairing. That's it's disappointing. But but listen, believer, this is no longer you. That's no longer you. You've been freed. You're not you're not relegated to it's just who I am. You're told that you've been set free in Christ, and that God is working through all things to conform you into the image of Christ. It's who I'm becoming in Christ. So you're no longer identified as the guy addicted to porn. No, you're a child of God. That's your identity. You're not the guy addicted to that stuff. You're the child of God that's fighting sin, and is free to choose against it. So do it. You're free to do it. Do it. You're not identified as the religious girl trying to do and say all the right things. That's not your identity. You're a child of God who's being conformed into the image of Christ. Your identity is not as being an athlete. Your identity is not being a businessman. Your identity is a child of God who is growing in the likeness of Christ. So all the habits, all the, the, the bad things, all the sin that you wrestle with, that's not your identity. Your identity is who you're becoming, and there's hope in that. There's hope in the fact that I've been set free, and I can look forward to who Christ is making me. There's hope there. So you don't despair in this just who I am. I can't do anything else about it. Listen, you want to help your relationship with your children? then stop going, well, it's just the way I do it. It's just the way I am. It's just the way I interact with my kids. And start living in the freedom of Christ and pursuing His design and His call on your home. You want to heal your marriage? And stop relegating myself to this is just who I am as a sinner and this is the sin that I it's just did. It. It's just what it is. And start finding your identity in Christ and living in a freedom that chooses to obey Him and glorify Him instead of being relegated to being identified by some sin. Your identity is not in the sin that enslaves, your identity is in your Savior who saves. That's your identity. That's your identity. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't submit. God, in His amazing grace, has saved you. He has freed your soul that you might live for His glory. The worship team is going to come up and close us out with a song in which we will sing of our Redeemer. And as they do, I want you just to bow your heads. And I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 6. Before we stand and sing. Paul says this, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace God we rejoice in that truth God we come to you and God, we confess that we need help. God, we can't do it on our own. We can't. We need you and your work in our life, God, by your Spirit to work and so move us and so remind us that we are free not to sin, that we have been freed from that enslavement. That, God, we can choose to obey you and to glorify you. God, we need your help in that. We need you to empower us by your grace to do it. So, God, I pray for people in here in this room today who maybe they're entangled with just anger and bitterness resentment and maybe porn pornography or just brokenness and relationships God whatever it is God we can so let those things identify and enslave us but God you have freed us you have freed us let us not find our identity in that sin in that struggle but God let us find it in you our saviour saved us. And we stand to sing of you our glorious Redeemer now. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. If you're here visiting and you have more questions about grace and would like to speak to me or one of the pastors I would invite you to do that. If you would just like to pray here alone you can do that. Pray in your seat, or if you'd like to pray with someone, myself, or Pastor Ricky, Pastor Mike, be happy to pray with you, but let's sing of our Redeemer this morning.